First John chapter five, verse 13 says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. So you say that you have, if you say that you believe on the name of the son of God, this book is written unto you. He said in the first tense, you know, there was a, there was a people he wrote these things unto, but this letter continues and we have it here in front of us. He further says that ye, those who believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So there's a there's a lot of people that don't know if they have eternal life or not. They, they question, they doubt. But if a child of God reads through 1 John, the conclusion of that reading by the Word of God and by the, the, the Spirit of God and, and through the testimony of God and the product of salvation, it should bring assurance of eternal life, not... Not a discouragement, but an encouragement that, yes, one has eternal life. And that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, meaning that that belief would then be strengthened, that it would be boldened, that you would be uh, built up and encouraged, you would be prospered in believing in the, in the name of the Son of God, and that, that there would be further evidence that you would grow. And that's going to come out in the reading today. He, he speaks of at least three different groups of people. He speaks of fathers and young men and children. And he, he brings this up in levels of maturity. So all of us physically are in different levels of maturity. There, there, there are the aged in this room. There are the, the middle-aged in this room. And there are, there are those that are, are children and young people in training. And then there are those that are much, much younger. You would just call them children. Not, not a young man or not a young woman, but a child. So there are at least these groups of maturity in, in the gospel that, that John brings up. We're going to read chapter 2, verses, verse, uh, verses 7 and 8. We'll start there. And you'll see the contrast here rapidly developing. Brethren, I write no new com commandment unto you, but an old commandment. That which ye had from the beginning, the old commandment, is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment. Well, wait a second. I thought you just said that you weren't writing a new commandment. Now you say it's a new commandment. Well, it's fresh, right, is what he's saying. Fresh commandment, I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and true light now shineth. So again, he's speaking to Jews. And when they were looking through the elements of the law and the elements of the Old Testament, it's confusing and dark and, 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 and mysterious in many places. But when you see that Jesus Christ, who had, in the time of this writing, had uh, near recently died, he was crucified and rose again, a lot of things started making sense you know, to the people of God. And, and those that were trusting in Messiah to come uh, would, would to believe and have some understanding in those Old Testament truths. He continues in verse 9 and says, He that saith he is in the light, or, or is now enlightened unto the gospel, and hated his brother, is in darkness until, even until now. He continues in darkness. He doesn't see uh, the trueness of the gospel. He doesn't see the trueness of the word of God. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. I said we'd read through verse 8. We read through verse 10. So the contrast here this evening that we'll see, the first contrast we saw was light and darkness. The second contrast was obedience and disobedience. The contrast that we see in this passion, uh, passage rather down through verse 17 is love and hate. Love and hate. So the Old Commandment and the New Commandment, they both illustrate love and hate. They both give us evidences of love and hate. So if the Lord is going to love something, he also must hate something. If he loves holiness, he must love unholiness. If he loves righteousness, he must hate unrighteousness. 
if he if he loves uh, life, then then things that pertain to death uh, and sin, the wages of sin is death, and he must also likewise hate those things. So evidence then for the child of God that they that they do that they do have eternal life would be how we measure love and hate. Okay, so let's define those words, love and hate, because. You know, we can say that we love something, but what does that really mean? I, you know, I, I love a Peavy's cheeseburger, but what does that mean eternally, right? Oh, I, I, I hate it when it rains every day, but do I really? What, what does hate mean? What, we use those words a lot, but what do they mean? In the, in the verse 10, when he says, uh, love, he that loveth his brother, it's agapeo. It's a word that means welcome or fond of, pleased with and content with. It's a, it's a thing that's adorable and attractive, pleasing unto the person, Okay. So when he says then, as we read in verse 9, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother, that, that he is lo- living in both love and hate. He, you can't hate your brother or detest or, or pursue with hatred. You, you can't diminish uh, or diminish or, or, or push down a brother and at the same time say you're walking in love and being pleased with somebody. Okay? So love and hate, that's a, that's a contrast and it's, it's one that's evident. It really is. And as we get through this, this portion, I, I, in, in the introduction weeks ago, I said that as we think about this, and, and John is, is, is written in an elliptical fashion. If you, can, if you can imagine something you've never seen, my grandmother mixing in that bowl and, and the same ingredients, but working them in little by little, a little bit more buttermilk, a little bit more of that, of that cornmeal, a little bit more of all the ingredients there, a little, a little bit more of everything. It's, it's the same content said in a different way, but building, keep continuing and building in that, in that product. When he says in verse 9, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Going back up to verses 7 and 8, we're talking about that commandment of love. Okay, The extension of how that God is pleased or fond with men. So he is pleased or fond of none of us outside of the gospel. But working in that, that biscuit mix there... There, when people say and what they do, there are two different things, you see. So he's talking about in verse uh, number 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. So he's bringing everything that he has said to this point all into one mixing bowl. Walking in light, thus fellowshipping with God, seeing sin, confessing sin, desiring forgiveness, and cleansing from all unrighteousness. Knowing that we're sinners, being commanded to sin not, and if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Desiring to be obedient according to the word of God, thus walking in light and not walking in disobedience and saying that we know the Lord. So love is a continuation of all those things. One cannot walk in darkness and love his brother at the same time. This world has expressions of love that are foreign to Scripture. It's not love to lust. It's not love to 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 uh, be selfish and mindful of those things. What love is? If there is to be any love, God is love. If there is to be any love, it's in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there is to be any love, it is to be in the obedience uh, toward God and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there is to be any love, it is, it is to be with sincerity, not in darkness, not, not, not to be hidden, not to be ashamed of, but with all sincerity, openly, into the glory of God. That's what love is. If you have to hide love, it, it, it is not a biblical love. No. Uh, biblical love is an open, light-shining, obedient thing. 
Actions are stressed here and not words. Look at this, if you would please, again in verse number 8. And he, you can see the pattern. He's already said this type of thing multiple times in 1 John. We're only early in the second chapter here. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his, hateth, hateth his brother. The action of hating. This isn't the thought of hating. This is the action of hating. Okay, so so love and hate are actions. They're not mere emotions. It's how those emotions play out. If I say if I say I I love my dog, but don't ever feed it, don't ever house it, let it stay outside and fend for itself. I don't love my dog. I love the idea of my dog, but I express hatred toward my dog. You see, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So what people say and what people do are two different matters altogether. People say a lot of things, but what do they do? Their actions here in this passage are stressed, not their words. Okay, It is good and proper. Uh, statements, affirmation, that's one of the love languages. Uh, you know, I, I like to be told that I'm loved. I, I really do. And it makes us feel good to be loved. But if, if we're told that we're loved and action does not reciprocate, does not fall along with that and does not supply evidence of that, then that love is empty. And he actually says that that person is lying, essentially. Here, At 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That is the expression of love, you see. Again, think about the love expressed of God. The Father didn't just say, oh, I love my people. You know, you're going to have your best life now. No, the Father, yes, he did love a people, but he gave evidence of that love, and it's expressly stated in John chapter 3, and verse 16, look, and that's chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that, evidence, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a, that's a quite a difference from some of the expressions of love that are, that are, are made and, and the acknowledgments of love that are made by people of the world today. Those that, that walk in darkness have no idea what love is. You know, if you look at the expressions of love as indicated for a man and a woman in Ephesians chapter 5, a man is to love his wife even as Christ gave himself for the church, right? I mean, that's how a man is supposed to love his wife. And a woman is supposed to love her husband with, with submission and obedience. And, and that doesn't give the man cause to... To, to be a tyrant at all, but under God's system, love expressed works. It really does. Expression of love, not just statements of love. And that's what John here is saying. Expressions of love and expressions of hate. So if you go back to the original definition of what love is, well, what are we pleased with? What things content us? I can say I love the Lord and I know Him so much, but if everything I do that contents me is darkness and sin and vile, I'm a liar. I can say, oh, I, I love the people of God, but I make no effort to be around them. I make no prayer toward them. I have no desire, uh, if there's obstruction, to, to at all reconcile with them. I, I, I go out of my way to distance myself from the people of God. Well, that person's a liar, right? Loving your, loving your brother, hating your brother, 
How is it expressed? I know some people that say they're the children of God and can't stand the people of God. Well, that person's a liar. Have to be. By the word of God, they have to be liars. That's what it says. So, walking in light and walking in darkness is one way of expressing love to or hatred toward our brother. Right? You know, if I turn my back on my children, is that an expression of love or an expression of hatred toward them? That's an expression of hatred. It really is. Whenever the writer of Hebrews says uh, that we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, well, forsaking the assembling, yes, to come in and hear the word of God, but that's also abandoning your brother and sister and, and showing elements of darkness in our behavior. That's not love. That's, that's showing hatred. Child of God, please show, hate, please show love toward your brothers and sisters. Don't walk in darkness. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Well, abiding in the light is continues in fellowship with the Lord. You can't continue in fellowship in the Lord and walk in darkness. We already stuttered that. We already know that. And he says in walking darkness, and knoweth not whether he, he go where he goeth, because the that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And that's the peculiar thing about people who say they love and people who say they know the Lord is they think where they're going is right. They don't see their blindness. They don't see the, the darkness of their path because where they're going is right. You see, it's unless halted by, by the Lord himself and, and repented or given granted repentance, the person will just continue walking in darkness. Yes, that goes for the unbeliever, but that goes for children of God too. The children of God will continue in darkness until, uh, until the light is shined on them. As David when that prophet said, Thou art the man, asking how bright that light was that showed him of what he did to his neighbor and how he murdered his neighbor. Walking in darkness. Walking in obedience and walking in disobedience by the old and new commandment. As we're studying the Ten Commandments, and we just studied the first commandment on Sunday, and you know, over time we may have been conditioned that the commandments, are, you know, oh, the law is bad. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We'll find me anywhere that is dishonoring to God to abide by the law. It's actually God honoring. And we would do well. It would be for our good if we would abide by the law, if we see the spirituality of it. So children of God, please hear the old and new commandment. You see that in verses 9, 10, 11, you see talking and walking here. See the difference there. So as we examine ourselves and we desire, if you desire, back to chapter 5 and verse 10, if you desire, believing on the name of the Son of God, to know that you have eternal life, do an examination of yourself in verses 9 through 11. He that saith he is in light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So, uh, are you walking in darkness? Are you walking out of fellowship with with the Lord? And at the same time, are you hate, are you loving or hating your brother? Those things are inseparable. Inseparable. We'll read it, and you'll see how Grandma's mixing bowl will get into it in First John chapter five. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that beget, everybody that loves God, loveth Him also who is begotten of Him. You can't help but to love it. You don't like everything they do. I don't like everything everybody does. And you don't like everything I do. But you can't help but love them. You have to love them. The Spirit of God will confess within us that we love the children of God. So then if someone says that, that, they, that they love God, if they, if they, if they are loving, he that says he's in the light, man, I, I have such a relationship and fellowship with God and yet cannot stand the people of God, that person is deceived. They really are. They're in darkness even until now. 
Nobody ever thinks they're walking in darkness. It's always someone else's problem. Catch that. He that saith he is in light and hateth his brother. It's always the brother's fault, right? The brother has always done me wrong. If you only knew what that brother or sister did to me, you would know why I don't care for that person. And never see how the darkness is inside our own hearts. We don't, we don't see that, right? So see this with clarity, that we, that with responsibility unto God, that we would desire not to walk in darkness, but truly walk in light, and evidence that in loving our, our brother, not just in word, but in deed. Not just with the tongue, but in, but in deed and in truth. We read that in chapter 3 and verse 18. What you say and what you do are two different things. If you look at this, keep keep reading in verse 10. He that say, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. So if you're going to love your brother, you're going to abide in the light. And if you're going to abide in the light, you're going to love your brother. Again, those things are inseparable. If you're abiding in the light, you're going to be obedient unto the Lord. You're going to see your sin. You're going to confess your sin. You're going to desire forgiveness of sin. You're going to desire cleansing of sin. You'll desire fellowship with the Lord and desire to walk in the light of God. You see how all these things are inseparable. And he's going to continue these thoughts throughout the book. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and desires to. And when we step out of the light, it bothers us to the point where we, we must repent and forget, confess our sins and desire cleansing so that we would continue in light as he is light and thus have fellowship with the people of God. And it says there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That word stumbling is important. There's no trap. There's no snare. There's no impediment. That word impediment means obstruction. Okay, The way and course of action, how you behave, there is no impediment or stumbling block then for others to, to, to fellowship with you, also to be walking in light and fellowshipping with the Lord and living in obedience and, and living in love. Those things all go hand in hand. They're inseparable. You cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with the Lord. You cannot walk in disobedience and have fellowship with the Lord. You cannot walk in hatefulness and have fellowship with the Lord. Because it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Light does not cause those who walk in light to stumble. If I'm walking in light and you desire to walk in light, I should never ever at any point cause you to trip up and to fall into darkness. If I'm walking in light. Now, being a human being and being a sinner, humanity comes in. So that's when I beg for your forgiveness. And thus you should beg for my forgiveness because no doubt we're people and we're going to offend one another at some point, right? When Paul wrote to the Philippians, and we've studied this, he tells them repeatedly to be of the same mind. Why? Because they're different people. And there's going to be personality quirks there. But truly desiring to walk in light, you should never be upset by when somebody says, trust the Lord and do what he says. That should never be a stumbling block to you. Also, listen to this. Darkness does not cause those who walk in darkness to stumble out of darkness. So if you have a group around you that walks in darkness and never encourages you to depart from that darkness, you know that they're not walking in light. And you know that you're not walking in light either. Stumbling all the way is a constant obstruction unto light. But darkness will not obstruct darkness from walking in darkness. In fact, it will encourage more of it. Look, if you would, please, in the book of Romans, chapter 1. 
a person walking in darkness will not obstruct a person, another person from walking in darkness. They might say, okay, well, this path of darkness is less dark, but it's still darkness. Look at this. There, there's a whole list of people, a whole litany of types of people in, in verses 28 through 30. But look at verse 31. Without understanding, covetous, uh, covenant breakers, uh, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God... That they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure or delight in them that do them. So they will not be, this world will not be an obstruction to you sinning. So if you're looking to this world for, for some kind of authority or guidance in how to live a, 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 a Jesus Christ fellowship, walking in light, obedient life, you are not going to get an obstruction from darkness to do that. Okay, you're you're not going to get an encouragement from darkness to step out of darkness and walk in light. Even though Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light. Oh, so very deceiving. No child of God, please, I'm I'm asking you, I'm begging you, be uh, evaluate these things by the word of God. Light does not cause those who walk in darkness to stumble at all. So those that walk in darkness avoid those that walk in light. Jesus said that. The Lord Jesus Christ said that in John chapter 3. Light does, I, I said does not, it does. Light does cause those who walk in darkness to stumble. It agitates the flesh. You know, when you tell somebody, uh, you know, okay, so think about this, perfect example, John the Baptist, he told Herod that he shouldn't have his brother's wife. It agitated him. It made him stumble. It, 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 it gave him a, it, it was a promotion of change of course of action there. And John literally let, lost his head. You see, light does cause those who walk in darkness to stumble. So those who walk in darkness will not continue with those that walk in light. So if you're surrounded by people who walk in darkness, you've got a big problem, child of God. Also, darkness does cause those who walk in light to stumble. So if you're hanging out with people who walk in darkness, you're going to be tempted. If your fellowship with this present world, and this is what he's going to get at, if your fellowship with this present world causes you to walk away, and it will cause you to walk away from walking in the light with fellowship of Jesus Christ and walking in obedience and walking in love and love of the brethren, and, and now you're taking the side of this world rather than the side of, uh, of, of, of Christ and, and actually knowing and confirming that you're a child of God, well, that's a big stumble, isn't it? That's a big snare and a trap that this world offers. In verses 1 and 12, so that, I, think, I believe every one of us you know, have, have encountered then walking in darkness and having been chastised and confessing our sins and, and asking for forgiveness then of these things. I believe every one of us have. I believe every one of us have, have sinned. I believe every one of us have, have walked in disobedience. And, and in part, I mean, we, we've all been fakes and frauds and, and living in our, in our flesh. We've all, we've all done that. And also, our, our love has been lacking. There's no doubt about that. But child of God, do you desire to walk in light as He is light? Do you desire to be obedient unto Him? Do you desire to that love wouldn't just be in, in the heart or from the mouth, but it would be evident in how we behave ourselves? It, it ought to be. It's, it so ought to be. And these things, again, are, are, are inseparable. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says... My little children, and notice he says, my little children. 
These things write I unto you that you sin not, and if any man sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he brings back in that mixing bowl, in verse number 12, the idea of little children. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because I have known him, you have known him, that is, from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So here is a good example of how you have to be very careful how you look at what the translators have done and how they divide out the, the, um, the verses. So because, if you look at it, in verse 14, it talks about fathers. Uh, let's see. In verse number 13, it talks about fathers, young men. And then in verse 14, fathers, young men. And in verse 12, it also talks about children, little children. Excuse me. Verse 12, children. Verse 13, fathers, young men, and children. Verse 14, fathers and young men. So then, to properly do this, they should have, and again, this isn't changing the wording of the word of God, but they should have had verse 12, I write unto you children, fathers, and young men, and then started with the little children in verse 14, children, fathers, and young men, and it would follow the same course of outline there, you see. So in verse 12, it separates the children there, which may be confusing to the casual reader. But there are three separate groups here that are, that are mentioned. And before we get into those, we have to see that there, are, that there are those of all three categories that have potential to stumble at darkness. Okay? So I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Looking back to verse 1, my, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the idea of sin being in our lives and our dependency on Jesus Christ in his gospel and, and, and his sacrifice for our sins and our dependency on that and, and our consolation or comfort in the gospel is fundamental to a child of God knowing that they have eternal life. When he says little children there, basically babes in Christ. If you know nothing else but forgiveness of sins in the gospel, then you may know you have eternal life. There are some people that they may may know little more than that. But if they know that, they, they have eternal life. Anyone that knows that their sins are forgiven and the gospel of Jesus Christ knows that they have eternal life. You see, it's not based on baptism. And there are evidences, as we've covered, and that's not undoing anything we've we've spoken. There are evidences of salvation. And those evidences do firm up that knowledge. But everyone has a different uh, maturity level in the gospel. Yes, there is an advocacy in sin. His name is Jesus Christ. We are to sin not. We're to walk in light. So, So if you're a babe, if you're a child in Christ here, you're to walk in light. If you didn't know that before, you're to know that now. You're to walk in light. You desire fellowship with Jesus Christ walking in light. You're to confess your sins, desire forgiveness, and desire cleansing from all unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. You're to desire and expect obedience unto the Lord, and disobedience should grieve you. 
We're to live in lives of thankfulness and forgiveness, desiring to walk in light and obedience. It it would be well and right for you to love the fellow children of God. Those are things that the children here up to this point are to have foundational knowledge in. Of course, they would understand those things because at the reading of this, it would have been read in the assemblies. And they would only be there together because they loved one another, right? They loved one another in the gospel. That's That's what the assembly is. It's not just a place to hear a message. It's a gathering of the people of God who love one another for Christ's sake and desire to give him glory and honor in their assembly. That's what what the assembly is. With covenant relationship under, under authoritative baptism. So now looking at these fathers, young men, and children, if you break it down in verses 12, 13, and 14, you have the aged men or the fathers, okay, or those of maturity. So just because someone is mentioned as a father doesn't necessarily that they mean that they have to have children, but they are saying that these men are going to be the more mature of the spiritual bunch. Okay, maturity. So do you, you know? So in our minds, if you're a child of God, you have to understand: Do I have? Am I a spiritually mature person? Am I a spiritually immature person? Or am I new? Am I a newborn babe? There's only three broad categories. Mature, immature, and newborn babe in Christ. So we don't have any, it seems, newborn babes in Christ. It seems like we, we would have then those that would consider themselves mature and then immature, where, whatever category that is. So a mature person in Christ, he says in verse 14, verse 13 rather, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. He says in verse 14, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. What do you notice there? Same thing, he said it twice, didn't he? He knew he was from the beginning and thus walking in that maturity. Okay? So, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. That which which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have witnessed it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto you. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That is the definition of the Father in chapter, of those fathers he was writing to in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Those that have fellowship with Christ, those that walk in light, those that believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, those people that are not antinomian, uh, that they think because of grace they can do whatever they want. Those people who are not agnostic, that just think that what they what they know is salvation, but these that have uh, obtained eternal life also have a practical element of their salvation, meaning God has done a work in them, and, and their life shows it. They're mature in the Word of God. The same thing written in verses 13 and 14, it's done to confirm them that they are to indeed walk in their maturity. It was to warn them against complacency, indifference, and a case of senioritis. Who's ever heard that phrase, senioritis? So the deal behind it, seniors in high school, sometimes around the last month or two of their high school education, they think, you know what, I'm about to blow out of this place. I don't have to go to class. I don't have to do the work. I don't have to do what you say. I'm just going to you know, walk around in a toga for two months and, and, and live it up, start drinking on the weekends, all kinds of foolishness. No, the mature should not have a case of senioritis. 
In fact, they should dig in and say, yes, because of all these things, we will continue walking in light and fellowshipping with the Lord. We will continue confessing our sins and desiring forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. We will desire that we would be obedient unto the Lord and our disobedience would grieve us. We should continue and even expand upon our love toward one another, granting grace and mercy according to the gospel. Loving and walking in light, obedience and exercising love, that is what the fathers are commanded to do, and that is spiritual maturity. Trust in the Lord and doing what he says. That's spiritual maturity. Fathers are also given in families to be leaders, providers, and protectors, to govern things. And one cannot do this in a spiritual sense if they're not doing it in a literal sense. So while, yes, he, is, he may be speaking in a general sense to, to, to male and female, he, he says uh, the, the fathers and the young men specifically because they are to lead in these things, you see. The Jews were prone to follow their wives into idolatry, and they did that often in the Old Testament. These people, these men, were to walk with all spiritual maturity. Young ladies, find a spiritual mature man. To settle down with young men, be spiritually mature. That's what he's saying. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives indication for those who desire the office of a bishop. But look what he says. Look at, the, look at the idea of what he's saying. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And a lot of people, when they read that verse, they just shut their minds and say, Ah, it's just for pastors. Listen. You desire to be a spiritually mature person? Verses 4 and 5. One that ruleth well of his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man, not just a pastor, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So yeah, people think that it's the pastor's responsibility to just take care of everything in the Lord's house. And while that's true that I, that I do have a special responsibility, every man is responsible in his own right to care for his portion in the, in the house of the Lord. Every man has, has that responsibility. Please don't just expect me to have all responsibility. What if something happens to me? Brother Gary, what, ha what happens if something happens to the pastor? Next man up, right? So please, children of God, men of God, fathers, if you desire to be mature, desire to be mature and don't just ask for it, live it. Desire to, to love, desire to walk in obedience, desire to walk in light. And not just think about it, but do it like we studied on Sunday. He says young men. And he calls them mature, still mature. Look at this. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. That's in verse 13. Verse 14, I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So he, he repeats the same types of things. And verses 13 and 14, what's the deal with that? So a young man is still mature, yet still growing. And that, that covers all of us. Some of us are, 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 are mature. All of us should desire to be more mature. But young men, there is a distinction here. Okay, Young men, yet showing vibrance, energy, and zeal in their station. Yeah, young men. But guess what? Young men are given over to impulse. Young men will jump off a roof just because. Young men, by their impulses and through which these things, Satan tempts them in the flesh. That's why he mentions in verse 13, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. 
So don't think that somebody, oh yeah, he's, he just fell into temptation. He's a young man. No young men, by biblical standards, overcome those temptations. Babies don't. Young men do. Babies don't. Young women do. Okay? So if you're, not, if you're one that's given over to temptation and one that can easily be overcome by the wicked one, then you're not, you're not a young man, you're not a young woman, you're a babe in Christ. No maturity at all whatsoever. Impulse begs for wickedness and sinfulness. It begs for it. This citation reveals maturity and self-control in the face of the master of wickedness, and that's what Satan is, is the master of wickedness, the master of temptation. But this says that the people of God, the young men of God, have overcome the wicked one. The young men of God have overcome the wicked one. He says it twice, so that he didn't miswrite this or misprint this. So child of God, you desire, even in young maturity, to be recognized. Well, if you're not desiring to overcome the wicked one, if you're just jumping in the darkness, living in disobedience, and hating your your brother, turning your back on them in every every chance, then then you might even say, "Oh man, maybe I'm just a new. I might I might have been saved for a long time, but maybe I'm just a newborn babe." And there are a lot of people who have been saved a long time, and they are newborn babes in Christ. Loving, walking in the light, loving obedience, and love itself. Loving love itself. The Word of God abiding in a child of God will, by God's power, bring strength to overcome. Look at this. That's what he says. Because ye are strong. And that, that word strength or ability, it's not in the young man's strength. Because ye are strong and the Word of God abideth in you. And because the word of God abideth in you, you walk in light and have fellowship with God and you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness and desire to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And when when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father and you desire to be obedient. And when you're disobedient, it'll grieve your soul. You You see how all these things mix back in. They can do nothing without the Lord, but they can do all things in the Lord, even and especially overcoming Satan, our greatest adversary, being strong in the Lord and desiring true fellowship with him, desiring obedience unto him, desiring forgiveness and cleansing from him, and desiring to be surrounded with the people of God who desire the same things. Strength and ability in temptation then is an exercise. Listen to this. Strength and ability in temptation is not not the will of the flesh or the overcoming of the flesh. It's an exercise and performance of the grace of God. That's what these young men experience. And this isn't just potential. Every person who desires to trust the Lord and do what he says is given ability and strength as an exercise of performance of the grace of God that lies within them. And everyone in due measure, we could read that in Ephesians chapter 4. But God does not lead in sin. He does not lead in darkness. He does not lead in disobedience. He does not lead in hatred toward her brother. So there you have young men. And and we could say young women for, for today's purposes. Now here you have the children. Look, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven. You for his name's sake. And then he says at the end of verse 13, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. So babes in Christ, those who know little more than the forgiveness of sins and, ha- and behave immaturely. They behave in immaturity. 
You know, they, they struggle. You know, Satan comes along and, and they're, just, they're just now understanding like they literally have been given eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart of understanding. They're easily tripped up. And, and I say as a babe in Christ, it was easy to trip me up. And even now it's easy to trip me up, but it was, a whole, it was very easy to trip me up as a babe in Christ. And if you, if you understand that, then, then very early on, after your, after your confession of, of, of your faith and after baptism, here it came. Here it came, you know. Who does a lion seek to, to devour? Does he go after the biggest and the baddest uh, of the wildebeest, or does he go after the lame and the old and the weak and those that trail behind? Think about it. So, babe in Christ, you got a target on your back. These people may be saved for some time or be elderly, but yet have not, not having spiritual or practical understanding of trusting the Lord and doing what He says. Just because you've been a member or baptized for a while doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're necessarily a mature person. Think about this. They may simply be immature as believers, and that happens. And you know, when someone is brand new born, don't toss an algebra book in their lap. They can't even hold the thing, you see. But some people are immature because they're rarely or poorly taught. Well, whose fault is that? Well, if the first command of a child of God is, as you see in, in Acts chapter 2, and is repent and be baptized, every one of you join up with one of the Lord's true churches that teaches the doctrine of the apostles, which is Christ's doctrine. If someone is not taught properly, it's not God's fault. They should seek out maturity. They should seek out proper teaching. They should seek out the Lord's assembly. Now, I will lay some uh, fault on the Lord's assembly. If someone out in the world is saved and they don't know anything about church truth, where are the people of God who are declaring, this is what the Bible says. Where, where are the people of God? There has been a, a lackluster performance, to say the least, over the past hundred years of the Lord's church in, doing our, in committing our duty. But that's a separate subject. Think about children, these little children. What, what about children? They're primitive in thinking, right? We try to explain when, when Layla was just a couple years old, trying to explain to her what God is and who he is and, and rationalize. Just, just mentally, she could not perceive something that she could not understand. Playing peekaboo, she thought I disappeared when I covered her eyes, you see. They're primitive thinking. Well, Children of God are no different. They, they have primitive thinking. Again, look at verse 12 and look at verse 13. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, and, and uh, you for his name's sake. Little children, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Primitive thinking. I was a sinner. Jesus died for me. Now I'm acceptable unto the Father because of the gospel. That's, that's primitive, basic thought. You cannot be a child of God and not understand that. The basic element. I was a sinner. I was lost, but now I'm found. I, I was a sinner, and now I'm saved. I don't know how he did it. I don't understand all the words. I don't know half the, half the words that preacher's talking about. I know I was a sinner. Jesus died for me, and now I'm going, I'm going to go be with him in eternity. Basic. But if someone doesn't understand that, then they're not saved. They're not a little children in Christ. And again, it's not just a head knowledge. There are plenty of people that can verbalize. I could verbalize as an unsaved person the, 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 the dynamics of salvation, unsaved as I could be. But children, brand new, born again, primitive thinking. Also, 
What about a child? They're incontinent. What's that word mean? Well, why do they wear diapers? That's a, that's a question that answers the other question. They're incontinent. They lack self-control. So if someone lacks self-control in walking in light, in obedience, in love, you have to ask, are they a newborn babe in Christ? Well, if they say they've been saved for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they're still a newborn babe in Christ, I would start to question, is this, is this a saved person? Or is, there, is this a person trying to pretend that they're saved and don't understand anything? Incontinent, lack self-control. Not walking in light, walking in disobedience. Not asking for forgiveness because they've never done anything wrong. Not asking for cleansing because why would they? Everything's okay. But think about this. In 1 John, in all these groups, in the, in the fathers, in the young men, and in the children, he, he wrote the same letter, didn't he? He didn't write a separate letter for fathers. He didn't write a separate letter for young men. He didn't write a separate letter for children. Sin not applies to every child of God. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, applies to every child of God. Walk in light, walk in obedience, walk in love, applies to every child of God. Loving Things that are godly and hating the world applies to the child of every child of God. Look at verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love this world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, this is a book of contrast. Yes, it's a book of assurance, but it's a book of contrast. If a child of God loves not the world, but they love the things of Christ, truly, not just saying it, but actually behaving that way, this will be an assurance. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world, but, is, but is of the world. There you have the application of it. Verse 15, you can say whatever you want. Verse 16, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in Grandma's biscuit mixing bowl. To love the world, its system, its religion, and its stuff is contrary to the love of God. It's contrary to walking in light. It's contrary to walking in obedience. It's contrary to, to confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness and asking for cleansing. Loving the world is walking in darkness. It's walking in disobedience. It's, it's hating and stumbling at a brother who walks in light. A person who walks in light will be irritating to a person who loves this world and walks in it and loves the things of the world. Again, if a person... If you're walking in light, and there's personality conflicts, and I'm not getting into that. If a person is truly walking in light, and someone can't stand to be around them, maybe it's because that person's walking in darkness and can't stand to be around them. That's, that's what he's saying. Loving the world is hypocrisy when you say you know the Lord, and yet still continue in darkness, continue in disobedience, continue in the love of this world, continue in hating the people of God. It's hypocrisy. To love the world is to be an enemy of God. That's what it says in James chapter 4. Look over there. Loving the world. Hey, if you can just fit in with this world and everybody just loves you to death, and you walking in light, shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, never offend anybody, oh, I just get along with everybody. Oh, man. James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, these are people that are committing spiritual fornication, just wiggling right in with the world. Know you not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? What do you love? What are you pleased with? What makes you happy? If you had your choices, where would you go? Who would you be with? What, what do you delight in? Where is your love? Where is your hate? 
What is in the world? It says in verse 16, the lust or the cravings or the longings or the forbidden desires of the flesh. Yeah, food, drugs, sex, the senses, whatever. Whatever makes me feel good. Does that dominate your life? The lust of the eyes, the cravings, longings, forbidden desires, all oh, those things I covet after, those things I long for, I just can't get my mind off of it. Got to have it. Well, is it light? Is it obedience? Is it fellowship with God? Well, it ought to be pretty easy to, to distinguish between fellowship and light and obedience, fellowship with God and light and obedience and darkness and disobedience and, and not being in fellowship with God. That ought to be an easy thing for us to see. The pride of life, that's concerning the empty assurance and trust and empty presumption of trust in earthly things. Oh, I, I must be saved. See how the Lord has blessed me with this new car? I must be saved. See how the Lord put on my favorite song on the radio? I must be saved. See how the plane landed? People are looking for signs and wonders, have no idea who God is. Not of the Father. It's what it says. Look at this very carefully. The love, in verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. Is not. That's definitive language. Don't bend God's word to satisfy your own heart. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, if he loves this world, if the lust of the flesh is the most important thing to a man, the love of the Father is not in him. If the lust of the eyes is the most important thing to a man or woman, then the love of the Father is not in him. If the pride of life or the confidence and trust or empty presumption in earthly things is what interest and love is in a man, then the love of the Father is not in him. It is not of the Father, but of this world. That ought to clear it up. Child of God, what do you love? What do you hate? What pleases you? What displeases you? Don't twist God's word to make it feel like, because we'll get to that in just a moment. We'll leave that alone just for now. Notice, though, of the world, there's death, decay, darkness, disobedience, and deception. People say they know God, but listen, there's no. this is no new game plan. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's exactly... We've read this before. We'll read it again in Genesis chapter 3. How did, how did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God knoweth that in the days that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And it was pleasant to the eyes, less to the flesh, less to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and did eat. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What does it lead? Disobedience. It walks in darkness. It leads to separation from God, not fellowship with God. Why? What happened? They dove into bushes, didn't they? Wasn't, wasn't fellowship severed? Child of God, don't be deceived. You see the same, the playbook hasn't changed. You go over to Matthew chapter 4 and read the temptation of Christ. How did, how did Satan tempt Christ? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan, if he's going to play the same playbook on, on the first man that never sinned and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, don't think he's going to try to change his playbook for you. You're nothing special compared to the first man who was sinless, created without sin. 
and the Son of God himself. He's going to use the same playbook. John says he will. A believer's position on this world, he sees it as darkness. He sees it as disobedience. He sees it as hateful and stumbling, a stumbling block to righteousness. He sees it for what it is, sinful, needing forgiveness and requiring cleansing of judgment. It's heartbreaking for the child of God to be in this present world. It's not a loving thing for a child of God to be in this present world. You know, we sing that song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Why is that an uplifting song? Because the child of God desires to be away from this place of darkness and enter into complete and total full fellowship, a sinless arena near Christ in his goodness, right? Lot was vexed by Sodom. Are you vexed in this present world or do you love it? Verse 17, look, passing away and abiding. Here's, here's the conclusion of the matter. And this, the world passeth away in the lust thereof. Passing away, it's going to go past. It's going to disappear, but it also misleads. It leads aside. It leads astray. This world's bamboozling you. Darkness, disobedience, deception, death and decay all around. Who wants to, even if you could continue in it, it's going to pass away anyways. Why, why would you... Why would you attach your buggy to that horse that's going to pass away? But no child of God, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doeth, that word doeth is, is important. Not he that believeth or has a theology, he that doeth. Remember, please remember, that in these things, strength and ability, again, is the exercise and performance of the grace of God in us. If anybody's going to do this stuff, it's because they've been saved and they're a child of God, whether they're a babe, whether they're a young man, or whether they're a father. They're going to continue in doing this stuff and continuing, meaning grow in these things. Maturity is expected. If Lex was born and he was still the, I don't know how big he was, Jill could tell you, less than 10 pound sucker that he was even right now at 14 years old, I would think there's something wrong. Well, child of God, if you've been saved for however many long years, months, or whatever, and you're still a babe, there's something wrong there. You should ask yourself, am I a babe at all? Or have I been deceived? Abideth forever. That means it continues. He doeth the will of God, the light and the fellowship, it continues. The obedience and the walk, it continues. Love expressed in maturity, it continues. Do we falter? Do we stumble? Do we, do we go out of the way? Yes, and we confess our sins, and we ask, and he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we desire that, to fellowship with him in all that we do. In all, those that trust the Lord in all things and do what he says, those that abide, that he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, we talked about this during the men's study, the will of God there. Don't say Lord will and then jump off into the world loving it. The declared will of God is what is being talked about here. The declared will of God. He that doeth the declared will of God, trusting the Lord, doing what he says, abideth forever. So then if someone's going to abide forever, it's because they're going to be fellowshipping with the Lord because they're walking in light and living in obedience. And when they sin, they're going to repent, ask for forgiveness, desire cleansing, and they're going to love their brother. They're going to continue in it. They're going to walk in it. All these things then are inseparable. They really are. So child of God, it really doesn't matter what we say. 
if you're desiring, and you should, the, the purpose of this book, again, chapter 5 and verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. If you desire to know if you have eternal life, ask yourself, hey, am I walking in light? And if I'm not, does it bother me? Do I truly obey the old and new commandment that I would love? And if I don't, does it bother me? Do I truly love? Or is love simply a word to me? If love is just a word, but it's never expressed, then it should bother me. If light causes me to stumble, that means I'm walking in darkness. Does it bother me? Do you love fellowship with the Lord in light? And if not, does that bother you? Do you love fellowship with the world and all its darkness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Do you know you have eternal life? Are you, are you encouraged? This, these things are written to be an encouragement and a refreshment to the people of God. That's what they're written for. We should be encouraged. You should be encouraged, child of God, that you would then... Show maturity, that, that maturity and growth in maturity and, and loving and continuing in that love and continuing the commandments and desiring to have fellowship with God in light. And sin bothering you, that's actually an assurance that you're a saved person. If sin doesn't bother you, that's, right. that's not an assurance you're a saved person. That's an assurance that you have deceived yourself. Yeah. If you're discouraged by this letter... I've known people that through the teachings of 1 John over time, they get bitter and angry. If you get bitter and angry over 1 John, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't blame me if you get discouraged and bitter of, over 1 John. I mean, these things, I'm just reading what he says and giving a little bit of thought on it. This is what he's saying. I encourage you to know that you have eternal life. And if these things expose you that you're not of this way, then again, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this, too. And we're going to go back and we're going to do this as we go along. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, there are many that say they have fellowship with the Lord, yet walk in darkness. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. There's liars out there. Are there liars in here? Sobering question. John wrote this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's in black and white. Many say they know the Lord, yet walk in disobedience. Chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Yeah, this is a book of assurance, but this is also a book of assurance. Hey, look, buddy, you're a liar. Hey, look, gal, you're a liar. Don't matter what you say. He that saith, he that saith. Don't matter what you say. Many say that they are in the light, yet show no practical pleasure and fondness of their brother. Chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. If I say, uh, if I say, uh, I, I, I'm walking in light, but I can't stand any one of you. That ought to say something about me being a liar and the truth is not in me. Right? That's what it says. Many say that they love the Father, yet they love the world according to their actions. Verses 15 and 16. Don't listen to what people say. Look at what they're, look at, examine them. Jesus said, the Lord Jesus Christ said, you'll know them by the fruit. 
Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love this world, no matter what he says, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. No matter what people say, if they're going according to the course of the power of this world and the, and the prince of the power of the air, then they are bound in darkness. The proof isn't in what you say. The proof is in the mixing bowl. Evidenced in the product of salvation. If God has done a work in you, you will have a level of maturity, whether a babe, whether a young man or young woman, or a father. Maturity. Let me ask you this question, and this, this is where, you know, I know the work of God and all these things has to be evident, but what level of maturity do, do, do you desire? If you desire to be uh, one of a high level of maturity, well, that goes back again to chapter 1, full fellowship with Jesus Christ, walking in obedience, walking in light, hating sin, loving good, loving love. If you want just a medium level of maturity, then at minimum you will have the strength to overcome the greatest adversary a, a child of God has except for their own self, Satan, Satan himself. Many children of God are content with being babes. Checking the box. I know I'm saved. Let's roll. That's terrifying. Walking a line, and, and, and think about it too. Do you ever have the question where you say, "Oh man, I wonder if this person saved. I wonder if that person saved. I wonder if this person saved." Why do you ask that? Because they got no spiritual maturity. They walk according to the world, living borderline lives. That's terrifying. Child of God, do you want to live a terrifying borderline life, or do you want to know that you have eternal life? Well, again, what's he say? These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that you would grow in maturity, that you'd walk in light and fellowship with Christ, that sin would bother you, that you'd find comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would desire to be obedient, and disobedience would bother you, and in all things you'd love the people of God. And that love would be evident as a product of salvation. If it describes you, that you say you are this and that, and you're none of the above, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This book, oh, it, it's such a loving book, and he uses the word love as much as anybody in the entirety of the Bible. Yeah. It's also a piercing book. It'll cut you to the bone. It'll kick you in the knee. Brother Randy Johnson said years ago at Oakdale, he said, well, if that, if that stepped on your toes, this will kick you in the knee. Well, First John will kick you in the knee. But it will also encourage the child of God who desires true fellowship with the Lord to tighten their belt a little bit and get serious about living for the Lord. Are you encouraged? I pray that you are encouraged by the word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.